Good morning, everybody. Uh, you may notice I'm not Mark. Uh, for those of you that are new among us, I'm not Mark. Uh, my name is Thomas. I'll move Gary's pad here. I hope I don't mess it up. Uh, I may have messed up the slides earlier. If you notice in that first song, they weren't working right. I, I, I may have pushed the button on this thing here. Uh, so yeah, I'm Thomas. I'm just one of the guys around here. Pastor Mark called me uh, on Monday and said he had COVID. And uh, I was scheduled to preach on prayer next week, February 4th. And he said, hey, how about moving it up to this week? Okay, I'm here. Uh, got a text from him yesterday. He's doing pretty good. He seems to be recovered. Uh, his wife is doing fairly well. She's getting better. She also got it. The two boys have it now, so we'll need to pray for them. Uh, before I get into today's uh, uh, sermon, which will be on prayer, uh, I want to uh, bring up a couple of issues, a couple of things here that I want to address first. Last time I was up here, uh, I made a mistake, and I want to correct that. Uh, it is our desire to be 100% accurate to Scripture. And uh, after I had, had given the message, a, a guy came up and said, uh, pointed out something to me, and he was very gracious about it. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, uh, people there are bowing down and worshiping, and the text says they're casting their crowns before the throne of God. And uh, I said they're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Uh, which is an assumption, okay? We're assuming that Jesus, because Scripture tells us Jesus is there on the throne, seated at the right hand of God, uh, that's an assumption. But that's not what the text says. So just to correct that, they're casting their crowns before the throne of God. Now in the, the next chapter, John turns and he sees Jesus standing there. And we're not told, was Jesus always standing there? And he just noticed, did he get up from the throne and stand there or, or what? But he is there uh, in, that next, in the next chapter. So anyway, I wanted to correct that. Uh, that probably means that today I'll have a dozen people come up and tell me. <laughs> as long as it's with grace, that's okay. All right. Uh, different subject, whole, whole different subject here. Uh, I want to ask, show of hands here, about nutrition, okay? And I want to know how many of you think that if you would eat one meal a week, that that would be healthy? If you had just one big delicious meal, you'd have all of the barbecue that, that Stuart over here could cook up and all of the vegetables and salads and, and fruit and stuff, all that healthy stuff and dessert to go with it. How many, how many would say that we healthy? One meal a week. Okay, they changed the lights. I can't hardly see you out here. But I don't see any hands going up. Okay, how many of you think it would be healthy if you like maybe eat a meal every day? If that would be better than one meal? Would that be better? If you had something every day? Yeah? Okay. Now I want to talk about spiritual health. Now I don't know what everybody does, but I've, I've heard that there's some people that they come to church on Sunday morning and they get a real good spiritual meal. But that's it. 
That's their only meal throughout the week. Is that healthy? Ah, that's why we encourage people, read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. Uh, I got up this morning knowing that I was going to say this, and I got caught up on my reading plan. <laughs> so uh, if you're behind a little for this year, it's okay. If you haven't started, today's a good day to start, okay? Uh, the other thing about that is, you know, when, when babies are born, they're, they're small, they're little, they can't feed themselves, right? So you feed babies, so people that only come on Sunday, they're being spoon-fed like babies, but a mature Christian, you would expect, could feed himself. And so, again, it's the idea of we ought to be studying the Word of God ourselves. Also, in addition to reading on yourselves, there's small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, it's a good opportunity to be in one of those. All right. That's what I wanted to get to before the sermon, so let me pray and we'll get started on that sermon. Lord, thanks for today. Thank you that you are the God of heaven and that you love us with an immense love. Thank you for who you are and for sending your Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we ask this day that uh, your name would be glorified and that you would use the words that I speak in people's lives. Lord, uh, all of us need our hearts changed. We all need it uh, improved. So we look to you for that, and we give you thanks for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing I thought we'd go over was, what is prayer? And it's very simple. Prayer is talking to God. That's that's easy. Okay, we can go home now, right? <laughs> I know you're all praying that I finish early so we can go to lunch, <laughs> having mentioned food, but we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Prayer is just talking to God. Now, by the way, God talks to us through Scripture. So if you want to hear answers to your prayers, read your Bible. They're in there, okay? When it comes to to God and our relationship with God, we as Christians realize that Christianity is about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's not about who I am, but it's about Christ. And it's about our relationship with Christ. And what kind of relationship would we have if there was no communication? If we never talked to God? That wouldn't be a relationship, would it? So a relationship requires communication, and prayer is part of that. It's talking to God. So before I go any farther, uh, I probably guess that most of the people, if not everybody in here, is a Christian, but if you haven't entered into that relationship yet, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to go over what is the gospel. How do you get into this relationship? Well, we'll start with Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we're all in the same boat, right? We've all sinned. Me, you, everybody here. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. 
Trying to get this little button to work here. Yep, it works twice there. All right. The rest of Romans, we'll just go with that one right there. It goes on in Romans 6.23, and it says, the wages of sin is death. So, yeah, we're all in the same boat, but the boat's called the Titanic, and we're sinking. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. Death in the Bible means both physical death, but it also means separation, separation from God. And so we're separated from God there. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's this free gift that God has given us. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to send $29.95 for shipping and handling. It's, just, it's a free gift from God. We ought to be asking, you know, if we're sinners, how can a holy and righteous God give us a free gift of eternal life? That, that just doesn't seem possible. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God is holy, he is just, but he also loves us. And because of the free gift that he has for us, we can have eternal life because he loves us. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he took on the punishment that I deserve for my sins. He took on the punishment that you deserve for your sins as well, making it possible if you enter into a relationship with him. And this is summed up, summed up in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The only requirement to receive that free gift is that you believe in him. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to get, you know, all right on your own. It's a free gift. Just put your faith in him. Once you've done that, you've entered into a relationship with Christ. And prayer is appropriate in that relationship. Now, I did a search for the words pray, prayer, praying, and so on. I found 144 references in the New Testament, 160 in the Old Testament. Now, I was looking in the New American Standard Bible. You may have a little bit different in the translation that you use. And depending on how you do the search, you might find more or less of those. When you're preparing a sermon, sometimes you've got a topic and you're, you're looking for verses. There's only one here and one there and, and maybe a stretch. There's another one over here. In case of prayer, I had, I had over 300 verses to work with. Uh, this may take a while, right? Fortunately, we're not, uh, not going to go through all 300 of those. But I have some here. I've selected a few out of the New Testament that mention prayers. I'm going to go through some of these fairly quickly and then we'll slow down towards the end and cover them in a little more detail. 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, when it comes to talking about 
prayers of all men, uh, for kings and all that are in authority, uh, I think we can say for all people, not just for all men. And we don't have kings in our country, but we have president, we have governors, we have senators and congressmen, we have people that are in authority here. And uh, depending on your view of politics, every few years you may agree or disagree with who's currently in that office. But I want to remind you that when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, who was in office, who was in charge at that time? The Romans were. Yeah, the Romans were in authority. They had taken over, and uh, life wasn't the greatest for the Jewish people. But Paul wrote to them that we pray for those people that are in authority, whether we agree with them or not, because we might lead a tranquil and quiet life and godliness and dignity, and it's good and acceptable in the sight of God. He goes on in verse 8, uh, therefore, I want men in every, pr- every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. People asked me today if I was going to preach on Ephesians. That's my favorite book, but I did find one in Ephesians to, to include here. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. Notice that he says, with all prayer, at all times, for all the saints. By the way, everybody who's a Christian, everybody who's accepted Christ as their Savior, they are a saint. That's not some special holy person. That's everyone who's accepted Christ. At all times, which means something we do continually, constantly. Be on the alert when we pray, not just haphazardly, but with forethought, thinking about it, with perseverance, not just the little one-shot arrow that you shoot up, and that was my prayer for the week, but with perseverance. And pray on my behalf, Paul writes. And I can say that as well for me, too. Pray for me as well. If Paul needed prayer, here he is, this great missionary of Christianity, traveling the world, spreading the gospel, writing a whole bunch of scripture himself. He needed prayer. We certainly need prayer as well. In his letter to the Thessalonians, we come across these famous verses. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you ever want to know what is God's will for me, there it is right there. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. That's God's will for you. Colossians chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Again, he's, he's, Paul's writing a letter to the Colossians. The words devote come up. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in it is there. Thanksgiving is there again. Keep on praying. 
And pray for the leaders as well, that God will open up a door for the Word. You see, it's God who works in people's hearts and brings them to Christ. And so, He gets the credit for it as well. Philippians chapter 4, another famous verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you worried? Are you concerned about our future? You know, it's an election year, and, and we've got all the politics, and you know, how do you tell if the politician is lying? Yeah, look to see if his lips are moving, all right? Okay, there's a lot of concern about the economy, about our border down here, about all of the things that are against God that are going on in our country. And uh, for a while, a few years past, we used to think the country's gone downhill. Now it seems like it's gone off a cliff. So uh, lots of things to worry about. But the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing. What are we to do instead? We are to pray. And we are to give thanks. It comes up there. And that will guard our hearts and minds. And we will get the peace of God in our lives. So if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you wake up at night and you can't get to sleep, pray. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore draw, uh, put the therefore in the wrong place, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. Who's there on that throne of grace? That's God's throne, right? God's there on that throne of grace. And we can draw near to that with confidence. We don't have to grovel. We don't have to get down on our hands and knees to crawl there. We can draw near there with confidence. Now, one thing... uh, I will advise you, don't go there casually, all right? I, I don't advise going up to the throne of grace and propping your feet up. Hey, how you doing, God? How's things been going lately? Okay, that's probably not the right attitude there, all right? We can draw there with confidence. 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence that we have before him that If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have the requests which we have asked of him. There's an important little clause here in the middle of this verse that we need to take note of. Because all too often we think, if we ask anything, he hears us and we'll get our requests. But there's an important little clause in there that says, if we ask anything according to his will. If we ask according to his will, he will grant it to us. How do we know what his will is? I think I covered that earlier, right? We can know what his will is. In the book of James, James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. I wonder how often that's true. We fail to ask of God, and as a result, we don't get anything. 
Or you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I'm guilty of that one. Lord, may I win the lottery? <laughs> well, you got to buy a ticket first. but and, Although buying a ticket doesn't really increase your odds of winning. <laughs> Think about it a little bit. It just it doesn't help any. But, uh, you know, God knows I would just spend it on things that I want. Uh, so it's our, our motives are in question there as well. Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Fortunately, one of the many things that we get as a free gift from God that comes along with eternal life, comes with believing in him, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's very fortunate because Scripture says we don't know how to pray. And it's true. We don't know how. But the Spirit himself, he communicates with God with groanings too deep for words, a language that we don't even understand, but a language that the Spirit of God and God understand, and they communicate with one another on our behalf, which is really great that the Holy Spirit is on our side. All right, I'm going to go now to probably the first verse that comes to mind of most people when they think about prayer, and that is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, before we get into the Lord's Prayer itself, I want to uh, talk about a couple of verses that led up to it. The Lord's Prayer appears in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 11 first verse there, it says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. That's a reference to John the Baptist, who was a forerunner to Jesus. He had taught his disciples how to pray. And here Jesus' disciples are asking him how to pray. But notice before that, Jesus himself had gone off to pray. Well, here he is. He's God. Why does he need to pray? Well, because he in his relationship with God the Father, he understood the importance of prayer, and he prayed as a model for us. Well, if he needed to pray, certainly we need to pray. And if his disciples needed to say, Lord, teach us to pray, then we need that as well. In Matthew chapter 6, there's some longer introduction before we get into the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I think this is a problem that maybe we don't face this exact problem today uh, of praying to show off. But I do think we tend to worry about what other people think when we pray in a group prayer. 
And we, and we tend to go, oh, I've got to say the right words here. I've got to get this right because there's other people here. Don't worry about what other people think about your prayer. Worry about what God thinks about it. God knows what's in your heart. And I think what he really appreciates the most is when we're open and honest with him. He already knows. So you might as well just admit, this, this is what's going on, Lord. This is, this, this is what is, is going on here. And this is what I need. This is where I hurt. This is where I see problems. He goes on in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The Gentiles at that time had this habit of just making up words after words after words after words after word to pray. Um, we don't necessarily do that today, but I want to focus on that phrase, meaningless repetition. I wonder how many times people have said the Lord's Prayer. They memorized it, which is good. It's good to memorize Scripture. But they say it, and they say the words, and they get to the end of it, and it was just meaningless repetition. We need to think, be alert, in what we do. And at that point, Jesus goes on, and uh, I guess it's off the top of the slide here. He said, pray then in this way. Notice he didn't say, use these exact words, but pray then in this way. And he gave us a model prayer for us to use. Starts out with, our Father who is in heaven. Now, I think today we're kind of used to that idea as God is our Father, but that was a radical idea in Jesus' time. It's one of the reasons that the Jewish leaders wanted to crucify Jesus, because he called God his Father. And, oh, that can't be. That's, that's blasphemy. And we'll take him out and crucify him. Uh, but because of our relationship, we can now call God our Father. Our Father who is in heaven identifies the one unique, holy God who is way above us. His ways are not our ways. His ways are just higher than ours than we can even imagine. Hallowed be your name. Now, other than the Lord's Prayer, how many people have used the word hallowed lately? Anybody? No. It means holy. It means righteous. It means lifted up. It means in high regard. Hallowed be your name. Your name refers to God's character. It's not just a label that we put on him. It's his character. Now, the prayer here isn't that God would be holy. He is holy. He's the very definition of holy. But the prayer is that we as people would recognize that his name is holy. That's the prayer there. Your kingdom come. God had promised a kingdom to the Israelites. They were expecting it when Jesus came the first time. They will get their kingdom. God is not forgetting the Israelites. It is going to come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We would like to see God's will done here and now, today. Not just among us, but in the entire world here. And it goes on, give us this day our daily bread. Notice that it doesn't say, give me tomorrow's bread today. Give me bread for a week. Give me bread for the next year. I wonder how many folks worry about tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. I'm guilty of that. I I admit, I'm guilty of that. But we're told that we should pray for what we need for today and not worry about tomorrow. It's kind of an echo, if you will, of what the Israelites went through as they traveled out of Egypt and towards the promised land. Every day, God provided for them manna from heaven. Now, on the day before the Sabbath, they were together two days worth. But the rest of the days of the week, they gathered enough for one day. And that was all they needed to gather. And it's a nice, simple life. And we take that and we start worrying about, you know, I retired a couple of years ago. Am I going to have enough money? Is inflation going to eat up all of my savings? Is Social Security going to be enough? And it's just worry, worry, worry. God says, let's get our daily bread. Be satisfied with it. There. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this verse can lead to some controversy because, like I explained earlier, our our sins are forgiven when we put our trust in Christ. So if our sins are forgiven, sins and debts, it's another, you know, it's not talking about monetary debts, it's talking about our our sins here. Uh, Same thing. So if our sins are forgiven, why do we ask God to forgive us our debts? That seems kind of odd. Well, our sins are forgiven instantly as soon as we pray to receive Christ. All of our sins, past, present, and future, they're all forgiven. But there's this issue of fellowship with God. Okay? Suppose you have a, a, a friend. You're good friends. You've been friends for a while. And, and your friend does something really mean and nasty to you. And, you know, your friend comes up after having done that and, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. How's the weather? And he talked about weather. He talked about the sports. He talked about cars. And he talked about this and that. What are you thinking about? Yeah, you're my friend, but we got, it's something that we need to talk about here. And so this idea of forgive us our debts, our sins are forgiven But when we sin, it breaks fellowship with God. And this forgive us our debts is restore that fellowship that we had so that we can work together so that we will be forgiven for the wrong that we've done. We also have forgiven our debtors is second part of that 
And one of the things you can observe in people, and this is common across the world, is that we want mercy for me and judgment for thee. Okay? <laughs> okay, we see somebody do something wrong. We want God to, you know, lightning bolt right there. But when I do something wrong, oh, God, have mercy on me. <laughs> okay? One of the things that you can tell if someone is thinking properly or not is how do they treat other people when they sin? You see, we have been forgiven a tremendous amount from our sins. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve an eternity in hell. But we don't get that if we believe in Jesus. And then someone else comes along, how minor of a sin is that compared to what we've done against God? When somebody, you know, mistreats us or calls us a name or steals from us or something like that, we ought to forgive them without condition just as God has forgiven us. And the last part of it, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, I think I put too much on the slide and there's deliver us from evil fell off the bottom there. Do not lead us into temptation. God does not tempt anyone. Okay? But he allows temptation in our lives. He's sovereign. He knows everything that's going on. He allows temptation in our lives. And he has his reasons for it. He has his purpose behind it. Sometimes it's to test us. Sometimes it's to grow us, to make us better as Christians. Sometimes it's to point out something to us, someplace where we fall short. This request is that we would understand God's way, we would understand His will, and we wouldn't have to face the test to understand where we fall short, where we need to improve. Deliver us from evil. That, uh, that phrase can be translated two ways. It can be either deliver us from evil, as in general evil uh, all around us, or deliver us from the evil one, uh, reference to the devil. Uh, and I actually think it means both. All right? The God, our Father, He's in heaven, but He's allowed the devil temporary time of roaming around on the earth, and He's much stronger than we are. He's been at this for a few thousand years. He knows what He's doing. He's full of lies and deception, and we fall from it all the time. So part of the prayer to God is that we would not be tempted by the devil, that we would not follow him, that we would not uh, sin from that. All right, that's kind of verse by verse what's in here. There's a, another thing I want to point out here on the verses. The first few phrases on this, uh, after our Father who's in heaven, after the address, use the, the word your Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That first half of it there is about God. It's about Him. And then the second half of it is us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Do not lead us into temptation. So there's, it's, you can break it down into two parts. The first part 
talks about God. The second part is about us here. All right. I have a few observations here that I want to make on prayer. Uh, first one, I t- mentioned the devil just a little bit. He does not want us to pray. Because he knows that when we're connected to God and when we're praying to God, that good things happen. It may not always seem like good to us, but good things happen when we pray to God. So he comes up with all kinds of excuses to put in our heads to not pray. Recognize where those excuses come from. Uh, Another observation here. God always answers prayer. Now, I know some people uh, think, well, I've got this prayer he hasn't answered. Okay. First of all, if God had no intention of answering prayer, would he tell us to pray? I don't think so. I think he has intention of listening to our prayers and answering those prayers. Now, often the answer is no. And that no typically comes with qualifier, I love you too much for that. Okay? Back up to where James was and we asked for wrong motives. God says, no, that's, that's not good for you. I'm not going to answer that prayer. But no is an answer to prayer. The second one that I'm aware of is not now. Which is why we need to be persistent in prayer. Because if the answer is not now, then keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. And when the time is right, God will say, okay, now. And he'll answer that prayer better than no. And the other answer that I'm aware of is, yes, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) That's my favorite answer. (laughs) Okay? It's not the one I always get. All right? But, again, God may have gifts for us. He may have blessings for us. He may have things He wants to give us. He's just waiting for us to ask. And all we have to do is ask. Uh, I want to mention some opportunities that we have for prayer. Um, in the announcements that were made earlier, Stuart mentioned uh, the Sweet House of Prayer. We do that the first Sunday of the month. We meet right here. First Saturday, I'm sorry. First Saturday of the month. Thank you. 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. I'm usually up by then. <laughs> you know, alarm clock goes off at 6. I get out of bed at 7. I wake up at 8. <laughs> okay. Usually I can get you know, a shower and get dressed and get here by 10 o'clock. Okay. So that's, that's fairly easy to do. Next one is next Saturday. All right. We also have a prayer list here. Thank you for doing the prayer today in the service. We appreciate that. Um, and there's another little thing we've done, uh, kind of a visual aid for prayer. And if you're new here, if you've only been here for a few months, we might not have mentioned it lately. But there's a, a jar out front. It's over here on the table near the children's area. There's a great big jar there, and there's some marbles in the bottom of it. And No, we haven't lost our marbles. They're all right there. <laughs> okay. The purpose of that is there's a notebook there, and there's a little basket with marbles in it. And you can, if you want, you can write your prayer requests in that notebook. And when God answers that prayer, you can come back and fill in the answer there, and 
take a marble and put it in that jar for answered prayer. And uh, I think I'm behind a few marbles right now. I've got several prayers that have been answered that I need to get some and put them in there. But that's kind of a visual aid to see that God is answering prayers. And uh, that, that jar is right out there out front for us to use. All right, I'm going to end right there with that. I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to come back up with a closing song, and then I'll be back up with the benediction. Lord, we do give you thanks. We know that you're God, and we're not. We know that you are holy and righteous, and let you have provided for us. You've provided uh, salvation for us. You provide our daily bread. And you've provided everything that we have, everything that we need. So, Lord, we give you thanks for that. We ask that you guide us, that you lead us in the path of righteousness, and that you receive the glory and the honor for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.